Um, the lowdown. Thanks for tuning podcast. Dr. Susan Fawcett gives us the lowdown on behavioral mental health treatment. Hello to you, Hannah and Maria. Thanks, Jody. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lowdown Podcast. I'm your host, Hina Mahmood, OT at the DSRF. For today's episodes, it's just going to be me. My fabulous co-host, Marla, is off on maternity leave for the remainder of the season. So I'm hoping to hold down the fort without her. Um, before we continue on with our episode, we would love for you to hit that subscribe button and leave a review of our podcast on your chosen platform. Remember to check out our episode pages for additional resources resources related to each episode. You can also follow the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation at www.dsrf.org and on Instagram and Twitter by following at DSRF Canada. So today we are taking another dive into the world of mental health. When we started this podcast, it was at the very beginning of this pandemic, almost a year ago today, actually, and we weren't even sure we would mention the pandemic during the interviews. We were kind of hoping that it would be done by then, but clearly I was wrong. Um, But it has a way of kind of seeping into our everyday lives. One thing we know for sure is the impact this pandemic has had and continues to have on our mental health. Um, and also the mental health of our clients with Down syndrome and their families. The lack of structure, routine, and increased isolation has made it very, very challenging. So today I have the pleasure of learning more about mental health treatment for people with Down syndrome from our three-time guest on The Lowdown, Dr. Susan Fawcett. She has been a guest on this podcast before, um, talking about the learning profiles of students with Down syndrome, Um, Dr. Fawcett is, in fact, specialized in behavioral treatments for mental health. So today's discussion will focus on that area. Um, Welcome, Susan. It was very weird calling you Dr. Fawcett there for a second, but it's a title well earned for sure. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome. Thank you. The podcast. Um, okay, so you know the grand old tradition of the lowdown where we were going to start with five secret questions. And so, yeah, and you have not seen these before, so this will be fun. Okay, are you ready? I, I think I'm as ready as I can as be. As you can be. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, okay, question number one What is your favorite book to use in therapy with a student? Ooh, that is a good one. Do you know the one that immediately springs to mind is, I can't remember the exact title of it, but oh, I do remember. Miss Nelson is Missing. Oh, okay. <clears throat> it's a it's an oldie but a goodie. Okay. Um, where Miss Nelson, well, I won't go into very yeah. many details about Spoiler it, but alert, it yeah. is very funny and <laughs> okay. kids really love it. Okay. So yeah, that's that's yeah. definitely a good one. Yeah. Check I it out. I find that they do love all the funny books, like things where like weird things happen or, you know, some, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Okay. Mrs. Nelson is Missing on my list. Um, question number two, what is your go-to mindfulness practice? Ooh, I think my absolute favorite one is a loving kindness meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, because you can really, it's good for kind of, you know, self-compassion, but Mm -hmm. also extending compassion to people with whom you might have difficult relationships with. Oh, okay. Um, So it can be, it can be really helpful for that. And it's just a really lovely practice. You always end it and you're like, oh, I feel so much better. Yeah. So it's good. So is it something that you can, um, like, is it something you download on your phone or is it online or is it yeah, a if you, I think if you just put in Google or YouTube loving kindness meditation, a okay. few would crop up. There's definitely ones on the Headspace and mm-hmm. um, Calm apps as well. Got it. Yeah. Okay. 
Very cool. Um, okay, question number three. You, imagine you have your own late night talk show. Who oh. do you invite as your first guest? Um, Glenn Hoos. Oh, I feel like he'd be a great he'd be a great first guest. And I did that literally to see the expression on his face <laughs> right now. What would you talk to Glenn about? What kind of like? Oh well, Glenn, we Glenn has many many entertaining stories about escapades that happen in his own home. Yes. and I feel like that could be yes. um, a fresh new perspective uh-huh. on a late night talk show. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. And for those of you that are listening that don't know who Glenn is, he is our producer extraordinaire and a parent of some pretty amazing kids. But yes, and I think he's going to also have an episode this season. So we'll find out all about those escapades that Susan is referring to on the episode on our family spotlight for season three. There, you should air it late at night and see how it does. Oh, yes. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I think it might have to be like a midnight release or something. Um, Okay, question number four. You can have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life. What is it? Oh, boy. Um, I think it's a toss up between two things that aren't very good for me, but I'm going to say them anyway. (laughs) Um, uh, it would have to be either champagne or, Mm. or dark chocolate. Oh yeah. I'd be happy with either of those. Dark chocolate's pretty good for you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess it, maybe not in an endless quantity, though. Yeah. I mean, you can have the endless supply. It doesn't mean you have to eat it all at once. But, and yet I would. <laughs> I didn't that you would. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> endless supply and endless temptation. Right? Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Are you like a 70% dark chocolate person or are you like me? You like to go up in the high 80s? Um, I would say I'm more the 70. 70. Yeah. Yeah. I do like a little bit of the creaminess. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. Okay. And our last question, um, as I mentioned earlier that, you know, we're all still kind of in the throes of this pandemic and at the DSRF, we've really pivoted beautifully to providing services, um, through telehealth for our kiddos. I want to ask you, what is the hardest part about working virtually for you? And then what is the easiest part? Oh, uh, the hardest part is definitely that I don't get hugs on a regular basis um, and I don't get to give them. So mm-hmm. I would say that's uh, that's been really, really tough mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and just that kind of 3D interaction is just so much richer. Yeah. Um, but I will say, honestly, it has gone much better than I would have thought a yeah. year ago. Um, yeah. And I know that's probably the case for every all the therapists and teachers here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think maybe the easiest thing is it's definitely a bit easier from the, you don't have to put out so many activities and clean them all up mm-hmm. after, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so either the parents have to do that on their end, <laughs> yeah, which is maybe not so great for them. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, it is kind of easier on our end. Yes. It's a bit, a bit easier to stay organized and like yeah. move seamlessly from one session to the next. Yeah. And some of the online yeah. games are pretty darn fun. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. And I think I learned a lot about our, our students' abilities and how they can do so many things online that I would never have assumed yeah. if we'd seen them in person. So yeah, so we learned a lot from that too. Yeah, definitely. Um, all and right. they know, they also know easily how to turn the session off if oh, you're not yeah. entertaining enough. Oh, that's, 100%. That's been great. Because that's happened to all of us multiple yeah, times yes. where the laptop lid just gets closed and you're yeah. fresh out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, okay, well, thank you very much for you know, answering some of those questions they, they for They were us. great questions. Oh, great. Okay, awesome. Okay, so let's kind of get down to business. So to start off today, 
Um, I was hoping you could share with our listeners a bit about how you became interested in this area of practice, so specifically working on mental health with our individuals. And, um, you know, for those that haven't heard um, your first episode or don't know you, so Susan is an SLP and went back to school to obtain her um, PhD in positive behavior support, but then has also taken an interest in mental health wellness for our families and especially for our clients. So can you tell us where that interest came from? Yeah, so I think um, I might have said a little bit about this already, but essentially what went down is about 10 years into my um, tenure here as as an SLP, you know, I kind of felt like I had some of the speech and language and communication stuff down, but I couldn't get to that with mm-hmm. a lot of the kids because they were engaging in problem behavior or because, you know, they um, parents couldn't work on it at home because the parents were so stressed out or yeah. the kids um, were in, t- in terms of mental health specifically, since that's mostly what we're talking about today. I would hear, you know, I'd see these little kids who were, I remember specifically this one girl that I first met when she was about six. And she was just like the most delightful little human being. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, really happy and really confident and sure of herself and and willing to do anything I would give her to do. And then when she hit her teens, she stopped mm. she stopped using the mirror because oftentimes when we're working on speech sounds, we use a mirror so that we can see our mouths properly. And she would just keep pushing it aside and mm. wouldn't use it. And it finally came out, which she said one day, I hate my face, mm. you know? And I was like, why do you hate your face? Yeah. Your face is beautiful. Like, I love your face. And she said, something about down syndrome yeah. you know and that was really heartbreaking yeah, um 100%. and so there were there were a few of those kind of kids um mm-hmm. and so that kind of like the fact that they were really having trouble with their self-esteem mm-hmm. and and you know I saw a couple kids with who clearly had a lot of anxiety issues um or who went through this you know period of low mood or depression and I just didn't know what to do to help them yeah And so during my degree, I was really, really blessed to be able to work with um, Dr. Catherine Martinez at the Vancouver CBT Center. And I did a practicum with her for a couple of years where she taught me how to assess and intervene on some of these issues with kids and teens who have intellectual disabilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned um, that, you, you know, you've known the the client you were talking about since six and at at teen years. And often for a lot of typically developing people, you know, teen years is a tumultuous time and a lot of those challenges and mental health issues do creep up. But for this girl, it was something different. Like it was just her not wanting to have Down syndrome or not liking that she had Down syndrome. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a different, like, you know, a different issue than some of the other kids that Yeah, and you're absolutely right. All teens go through a period where they, you know, they have a little crisis of self-identity, right? And they have low self-esteem. That's very, very common. Mm -hmm. But this was very specific to how, you know, how Mm -hmm. she looked and that it was because she had Down syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, was there, um, so you obviously saw a gap and a need that needs to be fulfilled in that in that area. That's why you kind of went towards not only your PhD in positive behavior support, but then the practicum at the CBT center. So there wasn't a lot 
for our individuals with Down syndrome out there really specifically no. to help in this area, right? So yeah, that kind and, of, yeah. Um, there's, there aren't a lot of psychologists out yeah. there who um, see kids with developmental disabilities. There are a few, and mm-hmm. I can definitely provide some of those resources. You can um, provide them for your listeners for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, but they're a little hard to come by. And even if they're around, they have long wait lists or, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. So, yeah. um, and there's definitely, you know, the having somebody who knows Down syndrome really well, mm-hmm. plus that knowledge, I think is probably fairly rare. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, I mean, I can assume that there is like a connection too between, you know, behavior and mental health, like they go hand in hand, yes. cyclical. So there's, so it's kind of yes. cool that you had, you know, knowledge in both areas. So you could see how one affects the other. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And often um, mental health issues will kind of show up Mm -hmm. as problem behavior in Mm -hmm. kids with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. Right. So it manifests Mm -hmm. as, you know, they just aren't behaving very well, but actually there's an underlying mental health issue at play. And do you find that often? Yeah, that's quite often. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's not uncommon. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so before we dive into the specifics of CBT and you tell us a little bit about it, can you talk about the prevalence of mental health issues in individuals with Down syndrome? Like what are some of the more commonly occurring mental health challenges and why are they sometimes missed? Sure, absolutely. So 30% of people with Down syndrome have a coexisting mental health diagnosis, and that is higher than the typically developing population, mm. which is more in the neighborhood of 20%. Um, also keep in mind, though, and I'm sure this is not going to be unfamiliar to anybody at this point in the in a you know year-long pandemic, mm-hmm. that we all go through periods where mm-hmm. we feel um, depressed for a little while or we're feeling very anxious about something. Yeah. Um, so this is something that most people will experience at one point or another. Mm -hmm. Um, The most Mm -hmm. common ones in kids with Down syndrome are also the most common in the typically developing population, and those are anxiety and depression. And if you go by age, so younger kids with Down syndrome are more likely to be diagnosed with um, what we call externalizing behavioral um, issues or mental health issues. And those are things like uh, attention deficit disorder, sometimes with that hyperactivity um, component as well. Autism, we mm-hmm. know, is really common in kids with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And certain types of anxiety can happen early as well. So separation anxiety disorder. Um, I've also seen, I think we all have examples of this at DSRF as therapists yeah. and teachers, where um, there's actually a lot of specific phobias in kids mm. with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. So Mm-hmm. They will develop a, a really strong fear response yep. to a specific thing. So yeah. the most common ones I've seen are dogs and needles. Those mm. are definitely the two that I think I've seen the most. But definitely there's kids who are really afraid of the dark or really afraid of thunderstorms. And not just really afraid, but they have a, an intense emotional response to yeah. those things yeah. um, that's sort of out of proportion with the threat, the Got actual it. threat. Got it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a bit different from ge- being gentle 
generally anxious or just kind of worried about things in general. Mm -hmm. And then if you think about later on in a, you know, as kids get a bit older, say into the, into adolescence or early adulthood, um, other types of anxiety may start to crop up. This is um, one that we see quite a bit here is selective mutism. So Mm -hmm. that's where kids will Mm -hmm. talk at home, their total chatterboxes at home with their parents. But then when they go out into the community, you know, they all of a sudden don't talk at all or they don't talk much at school, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, Generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety. And then um, another really common one is that as teens get older and start to transition into adulthood, there's a really risky period for for the development of depression at that point. Okay. Yeah. And these diagnoses are missed. You're asking about um, why they're missed. Mm -hmm. So I would say there's probably two main reasons. Um, One being our old uh, friend slash enemy diagnostic overshadowing, right? Where, you know, you take your child to a pediatrician or a physician because you're noticing some changes and they attribute it to Down syndrome alone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that unfortunately happens a lot. And in that case, I just urge parents to really be, you know, good, strong advocates for your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and because mm-hmm. you know your kid best, mm-hmm. right? And you know if there's something that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel right, yeah. 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 And then um, also the symptoms uh, of these disorders in people with Down syndrome look different than mm-hmm. they do in typically developing people, yeah. right? So yeah. a, a teen with... Uh, who's typically developing may actually express the thought, like, I feel like a worthless person, right? But a child with Down syndrome is not going to express that in most cases. And why Um, do you think that is? Like, is it, is there a specific like a language or comprehension issue like that's yeah, where you're it's noticing why they're ab- link, linked to a limited expressive okay. language ability or actually even receptive language ability okay. um yeah so i think that's probably what it is it doesn't mean that they don't have those feelings yeah. but they may not be able to express them got it okay um They might, though, become really, you might see behavioral changes. So Mm -hmm. they might become more teary. They might become uh, really quick to anger or very irritable. Um, That's a really common one. They may stop. Another big one is if a child loves, you know, karate class and then all of a sudden they don't want to go just anymore. Do yeah. Right. They just mm-hmm. would rather stay at home on the couch. Mm-hmm. So um, and then if definitely if there's regression in previously achieved skills, um, that likely doesn't happen at all in typically developing people yeah. with depression. But it happens. It can happen quite often in, in kids with Down syndrome. Yeah. And then what we were saying earlier about, you know, anxiety definitely often often manifests as problem behavior yeah. and specifically avoidance uh, behaviors around, you know, a particular situation is really scary for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier about externalizing behaviors. Could you expand a little bit on that for our listeners? Like what would an externalizing behavior look like versus an internalizing? Right. So externalizing is when you can actually see the behaviors happening. So okay. these are often the ones that are more distressing for parents and mm-hmm. teachers and mm-hmm. that kind of thing, because the kids are throwing things or they're swiping things off tables or they're hitting or kicking or yelling or Got those it. kinds of things. Internal 
internalizing is really just your your mood state, yeah. right? Or how you're feeling on the inside of your body. Got it. Um, okay. So, and that's not as easy to see. And it's also not as disruptive for yeah. family life and yeah, yeah, for yeah. being successful. Well, it could be disruptive for being successful in school, but it's not disruptive in terms of, you know, Outwardly, the class, yeah. right? Yeah. The class isn't disrupted by yeah. the child. You can't see it. You can't see it. Easily. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. And is it, um, is it like for, could could a, a, an individual Down syndrome that's struggling with externalizing as a young kid and then it goes into like is there can it change from externalizing to internalizing as they get older or yeah so there is actually I mean I think we all notice this clinically yeah we've noticed this for a while right that those of us who have worked with these guys for a while that the kids who are you know really aggressive or super hyper when they're little kids Mm -hmm. and and quite disruptive tend to be the ones who develop things like depression later on Mm. so um it is a bit of a um it is a bit of a something you want to be aware of if your kid is engaging in some of those things and actually we've noticed it clinically but there is now actually research that supports that as well yeah 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 so i can imagine parents that are listening some of them might be starting to panic or worry a little bit like okay my kid throws things so is that going to mean that they're going to end up you know having to battle depression so is there like a i mean there's some aspect of that kind of stuff that's very kids like you know at at any age a kid would throw things or whatever but there has to be like a line where now you're like okay now it's time to worry Yeah. So, I mean, you always want to, this is a, you know, thing that I think we all try to get across all the time, an idea that you always wanted to approach things preventatively. Absolutely. You want to intervene early, right? And if you can kind of get the the problem behaviors reined in and get them in, in, you know, Mm. more independent and in in engaging in routines a bit more successfully Mm -hmm. and and adaptive more in doing more adaptive behaviors, then that's going to lessen the, that's going to increase their self-esteem, which is going to lessen the the chance that they're yeah. going to be depressed later yeah. on. Yeah, and that's kind of where the positive behavior support strategies mm-hmm. really do come in when place because you're helping when they're young. Yeah. yeah, and I love that you said preventative because a lot of the times some parents may think, well, no, my kid's fine. Yeah. But doesn't mean that they'll stay fine. That's right. <laughs> or that yeah. behavior may and not it's emerge. Not a, right? it's and it's not a it's not a foregone conclusion yeah. either. It's not like oh my kid is you know very naughty and yeah I have to worry about them being depressed later. It's just a bit more likely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's not like yeah. And yeah. now you're armed with that knowledge, so you 100%. can be on the you can be on the lookout for signs of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that even with anxiety, that it can show up in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. So it can't. It's not like you're very standard. Anxiety, like I've had students where they seem, you know, perfectly happy on the outside, but there is an internalization of anxiety where I see it in how they're doing an activity or, you know, how they're very perfectionist sometimes. Like they need to, yes. you know, if they make a mistake, they're going to get anxious because so it shows differently than what you would typically think an anxious person would display. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Great. definitely. Awesome. That was really, really helpful. And I'm sure it's going to be very helpful for a lot of people listening. Um so when, so kind of as we're, as parents are thinking about this and they're maybe starting to worry a little bit or questioning things a little bit, when is a good time for a family to come to you for support? And, you know, how big do the changes need to be 
for some intervention to be warranted. Yeah, and again, that follows really nicely from what we were just talking about, mm-hmm. right? That prevention mm-hmm. or early intervention is definitely better and not yeah. waiting until things get really bad, yeah. right? Um, so definitely doing that is is a good is a good call. I've actually been thinking recently about um, maybe some sort of preventative mental wellness support for uh people with Down syndrome who are new to adulthood because we know that Mm -hmm. that's a really tricky time. So what if we just Mm -hmm. did like a little group program where we worked on, you know, making sure that we all have lots of activities going on and that our self-esteem is at a healthy level and that they have connections with one another, right? Because we know that's very um, protective in terms of mental health if they can be connected with other people. Um, So I think that, you know, would probably be a good idea. I think, though, I would be a bit remiss here if I don't say first that make sure you look at the physical health first, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're noticing behavioral changes or changes in mood or that kind of thing, you know, a whole myriad of physical health problems could cause that. So um, many of them relate to pain. And we know that Mm -hmm. people with Down syndrome may experience pain a little bit differently. They certainly may not express it when they're experiencing it. Um, Don't forget about changes in sleep or diet or exercise levels, right? Um, And a big change in routine for people who really thrive on routines, like people with Down syndrome, can definitely cause behavior or mood changes. And a recent example of that is, you know, the start of the pandemic, where we did see a lot of regression in skills with some of the kids and, you know, behavioral changes that Mm -hmm. weren't so pleasing to parents, right? Um, So you've just got to kind of keep that stuff in mind first. Mm -hmm. Um, But definitely, I would say if you have concerns, I'm always willing to take calls or emails about that from families to Mm -hmm. see if, you know, intervention might be appropriate or to talk through a couple strategies you could maybe try yeah um if you're noticing some of those changes for sure yeah and you mentioned that you know you do notice that that transition from adolescence to adulthood is kind of when a lot of things can appear Mm -hmm. um can you talk just a little bit more about why that is what is it between that time definitely so i mean i think we suspect that it's because this Routine again for people who really are yeah. super happy in their routines. Yes. The routine of school just suddenly ends, mm-hmm. right? And even if I mean, most parents are really great about getting their kids involved in other things right after high school. I don't think there's a lot of people with Down syndrome who are sitting alone on the couch at home for yeah. hours on end. Yeah, I think yeah. they're all pre- doing other things. Mm-hmm. But that sh- that sudden shift after you know how many years is that? It's many, many, it's most of, it's the bulk of their lifetime, right? At that point. And you all, that's all of a sudden taken away with all of the social connections, right? These are people who really like to wave at people in the hallways and, you know, and be around other people and often be the center of attention. Mm -hmm. And now that, that daily opportunity is not there anymore. So, you know, that I think is really hard on a lot of our young adults. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just the fact that all, yeah, you're absolutely right with the routine and the structure, because so much of it is based on going to school every day, then you're having these activities after school, then you have these activities on the weekend. But a lot of it just kind of falls by the wayside as soon as they're finished high school. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, now what? Right. So 
Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, okay. So can you, so let's kind of dive into CBT specifically. So can you provide our listeners with a definition of CBT and what are some of the basic principles behind this treatment approach? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so CBT or cognitive behavior therapy is, um, a highly effective therapeutic approach for all sorts of mental health issues. Um, there's now, you know, a positively voluminous amount (laughs) of gold standard research to show that it helps things like anxiety and depression in typically developing people. Um, But it's also good to keep in mind that actually the principles of CBT, which I'll get into in a minute, actually apply to a lot of things that just affect human beings in general, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. things like, you know, CBT principles are used with professional athletes, right? Yep. Um, in yep. terms of like sports, in terms of their training. Yeah. Um, Improving your effectiveness and satisfaction as a parent or your your self-confidence as a parent. That's mm-hmm. been shown to be really helpful. And um, so I definitely include a CBT component in my parent training mm-hmm. program, right, mm-hmm. for, for parents of young kids with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, managing st- stressful situations better. So if you're yeah. somebody who you feel you tend to overreact to small things, that CBT can be really helpful there. Mm-hmm. Um, insomnia, right? So uh, my I'm a notoriously poor sleeper and yeah. my doctor recommended that I take this kind of self-directed CBT course online several years ago. And it was actually quite helpful, yeah. you know, for that. Yeah. So Um, CBT as a therapy is typically structured and time limited. So although it's a form of talking therapy, you know, I think a lot of us still have this uh, picture in our heads of like the typical, you know, yeah, the couch, (laughs) couch, right? You're lying on the couch, you're talking for like a whole hour and there's the therapist like writing notes and maybe nodding off occasionally (laughs) and right. Like it, it definitely doesn't really work that way. And and I think people also think of that as I'm going to go see my therapist once a week for like my whole life, right? It goes on and on and on and on. Whereas CBT is a much more time limited approach. So um, for typically developing individuals, the treatment course may last weeks yep. rather than months or years. Interesting. Right? And okay, it can yeah. be quite helpful within, yeah, yeah, yeah. within a few weeks. Yeah. So um, it's really problem-solving focused. There's homework exercises each week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very directed by what the client's current issues are. There's not a lot of focus on like your past and what, you know, kind of digging up past S- issues. Solutions focused yeah. more than, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. got yeah. it, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the main, not that there's, I don't want to say there's anything wrong with that no. type of therapy and mm-hmm. that definitely has its place. I'm going to just put that out there yeah. too, yeah. but that's not what CBT is. So mm-hmm. the main concept underlying this kind of therapy is what's called the CBT triad. And that's how your thoughts, emotions, and behaviors all impact one another. Mm. So it's a bit hard in a podcast scenario, but if you imagine a triangle, yes. right? And at each point in the triangle, there's thoughts and there's, which is the cognition part, mm-hmm. and there's behaviors or actions. And then the other point has um, your emotions or feelings. Yep. So those are the three. And then imagine kind of bi-directional arrows mm-hmm. in between each one. Mm-hmm. Um, so to show that your thoughts influence your behaviors, but actually your behaviors all also influence your thoughts, mm-hmm. right? So it mm-hmm. all kind of works in this bi-directional way. Yep. And so I'll give you a 
specific example. So if I, you know, see a cookie on yeah. a table, okay, mm-hmm. and it's available to me, mm-hmm. and I think to myself, mm, that cookie looks really delicious. Yeah. I'd like to eat it. Yeah. And then I eat it, and yeah. that might make me feel happy. Yes. Right? Okay. But it could also work the other way. So the same situation, I now just see the cookie and don't think anything first. I just eat it. And then I think, oh, man, like... I already ate like 63 cookies for breakfast this morning. Like, why did I do that? I'm just a big pig, right? And then that's not going to make me feel happy, that thought. That thought is going to make me feel decidedly not very good about myself. (laughs) So I'd feel pretty disappointed in myself. So the point being that the relationship among the three things is this multi-directional thing. Mm -hmm. The goal of therapy, obviously, is to feel better. So Mm -hmm. when you do that by changing your thoughts and your behaviors, so that's the C and the B, right? The cognitions and the behaviors, so that your emotional state is less sad or less anxious Mm. and a little more, you know, regulated, calm, happy, Mm -hmm. right? That's kind of what you're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. So regarding the cognitive part, we all have helpful and unhelpful thoughts. Okay. So there are a few um, problematic thought patterns and the originator of um, cognitive therapy, Aaron Beck, uh, essentially what he said about this is that we all make a lot of errors on a regular basis, uh, some of us more than others, in interpreting events. So it's not an event itself that causes distress. It's how you interpret the event, right? And so a lot of us will have patterns like all or nothing thinking. So this would be something, you know, you were mentioning earlier that a lot of our kids with Down syndrome tend to be a bit perfectionistic, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. so they will not do something because they're afraid they're going to make a mistake. So this is this kind of thought, you know, uh, if I... I'm, I'm not going to do it because I'm, I'm not going to do it right. Yeah. So I'm not going to do it at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not even going to try or jumping to conclusions is another mm. type of thinking. Mm-hmm. So one example of this that spouses really like to do to each other is mind reading. Oh. Like your spouse <laughs> does something and you interpret it completely not the right way. Yes. Right. Like, yes. oh, he's not talking to me right now. So he must be angry with me. Yeah. I must have done something wrong. Yeah. When in actual fact, maybe he's just tired. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, another really common one is catastrophizing or, mm. or magnifying things. Mm-hmm. So this one makes me, I was thinking of what could be a specific example of this. And I feel like during COVID, anytime I got a sniffly nose, I was oh, like, yeah. oh man, yeah. Oh, I have COVID. Yes. Oh no, I'm going to get really sick. I won't be able to see my kids anymore. Yeah. Oh no. You yeah. know, so we kind of yeah. tend to jump to these, like mag, we magnify something, um, inappropriately. Yeah. So it's, we've now made it much bigger and you can imagine that that thinking pattern, which happens very quickly mm-hmm. in your brain, mm-hmm. right? You go from zero to a hundred mm-hmm. is yeah. not going to make me feel Um, good about the fact that I have the sniffles, it's going to make me feel pretty lousy, right? And very anxious. So it's, it's an example of an unhelpful thought. Yeah. So I don't know, Hina, if you uh, resonate with any of those or if there are any of those that you want to share. I feel like I can resonate with all three of them at certain points 
in my life because I feel like I've gone through all of them at a certain point. But I think the second one in terms of interpreting incorrectly yes. what someone else's, you know, intention might be is a big one where yeah. if I'm, <clears throat> for example, like if I'm sending a text message or, you know, and I haven't heard back for two days. So there I could catastrophize and be like, oh, hopefully everything's OK. They haven't messaged me back. Like, are they sick? Are they dead? Or versus <laughs> yep, exactly are they mad at me? Like, did I do something wrong? <laughs> yeah. And then I go through that pattern of like, you know, like, oh, Oh, like I should like I should have done this or that. So yeah, so I think those two for sure resonate with me quite yeah. a bit because I feel like that is something that and the the funny thing is that at least for me, I'm like I can I know that I shouldn't be doing it, but it's so hard. Yes. to get myself out of that yeah. cycle. So, yeah. Yeah, but being aware of it is a good is a mm-hmm. good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm I mean the the point here is is that everybody experiences yes. them, right? And that's yeah. that's kind of what you're trying to to change. So yeah. one thing you would do, the goal here is is to kind of modify or change those unhelpful thought patterns. So um by cognitive reframing, so mm-hmm. looking at it a different way, one way to do that is kind of um when I do this with kids, I will say let's put our detective hats on or be mm. a scientist, whatever kind of resonates with them more. Mm-hmm. And like let's find some evidence for that thought, mm, right? Like, mm-hmm. is there evidence out there that actually supports that or yeah. no? Um, and oftentimes there isn't. And yeah. then they think, oh, okay, you know, yeah. maybe I don't need to be, maybe I don't need to come jump to that particular conclusion. Yeah. And then um, regarding the behavior part, just to finish off the kind of C, the C and the B stuff, um, that might be more about like activity scheduling for somebody who's depressed. So making sure that they are now engaged in some of those activities that they used to find enjoyable but have stopped doing Mm -hmm. Um, even if it's in really small chunks and they just do a little bit um, every day but definitely getting them active again is a big part of that Mm -hmm. Um, and then other behaviors teaching active coping strategies for dealing with anxious or Mm -hmm. kind of low mood states so um, developing and engaging in a relaxation routine for example those kinds of things yeah 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 Well, so, I mean, there is strong, you mentioned that there's an abundance of research evidence that things like CBT work to reduce the effects of anxiety and depression in typically developing people. What about evidence as far as our individuals with Down syndrome? Does this work differently for them? Because a lot of the cognition, you know, from my experience, it feels like it's quite high level. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not necessarily very easy for them to get to, they might be able to with some support, but like, how is it, what's the research saying for for Down syndrome and CBT effectiveness? Right. So there definitely is now starting to be more research on whether CBT is effective in people with intellectual disabilities in general, though okay. I haven't seen any that are specific to just people with Down syndrome, of mm-hmm. course, because we course, know yeah. our yeah. population is really under-researched a yep. lot of these things. Yeah. But I think, you know, it really wasn't even considered, honestly, as a viable treatment option for people with intellectual disabilities until quite recently. which is unfortunate, even though it's been around since the 60s. And why do you think that they would not? Is it because of the intellectual disability part? Yeah, I think think so. It would, you know, it might take longer. They would get the concept of thoughts, but people forget about the B, right? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. 
So, and then, you know, there, there was one meta-analysis done in 2013 by um, Verinui and Langdon. And that a meta-analysis meaning that they summarized all the research that was out there already. Mm-hmm. Um, they did find that CBT was moderately effective for treating anger problems oh, um, okay. and for depression in individuals with intellectual disabilities. So we do know that it works for yeah. people who are have a cognitive disability. Yeah. Um, with respect to the actual, you know, therapeutic process working differently, it definitely does. So mm-hmm. I was saying before that it's a time-limited therapy, mm-hmm. but in an individual with Down syndrome, it will take more time, right? Yeah. Just because yeah. of, you know, the like pace that they're yeah. learning and, yeah. and, you know, you're starting at a, sometimes you have to start with um, a bit more psychoeducation mm-hmm. um, type stuff than mm-hmm. you would with a, that might take a bit longer mm-hmm. um, than with a typically developing individual individual obviously there's more visual supports mm-hmm. right so yes. there's a lot more yeah. of that kind of thing and um as dr friedlander said on the podcast you did with him last season um cbt for people with down syndrome is little c big b right mm-hmm. so meaning you don't fog it focus so much on the cognitions yes. you focus more on the behavior yeah um so that's that's basically what you can do there so I mean, so does it always have to take into account all three parts of the triad or can it just be just behavioral and emotional? Like, does cognition always have to play effect, whether it's big or small C? Or Yeah, I, you know, there's definitely been one or two um I mean, obviously, my my data pool here is small, right? Because yeah. I've only been doing this for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but but uh, I would say there's been one or two teenagers mm-hmm. who I have not done much cognition mm. stuff with at all. Mm-hmm. It's been really mostly focused yeah. on the behavioral, yeah. the behavioral stuff. Yeah. I mean, we we kind of try yep. sometimes, um, but it's 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 definitely not. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. not as because, prominent. And, and and correct me if I'm saying this in the wrong way, but like sometimes the cognition aspect of it isn't as important depending on the anxiety that they're working through. So yeah, I mean, like it doesn't the, matter as yeah, much. Yeah, the point is you can definitely get some improvements by just modifying behavior yeah. and teaching yeah, yeah, coping yeah. skills mm-hmm. and teaching them more emotional literacy. Yes, right. You oh, can great. definitely yeah, you can definitely get somewhere just by doing yeah. those things for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. The emotional so literacy. So yes, you part, don't yeah. need the C part. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Is it helpful if the person is? Um, able to understand it. Yes, Absolutely. I think it is. Yeah. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, here at the DSRF, we observe a vast range of abilities in our students. Some are very chatty, some are, you know, minimally verbal or maybe even nonverbal. Um, and in talking about CB and the, the, the triad, does this change how effective CBT is? I mean, we kind of just touched on it a little bit, but um can CBT be used for any individual with Down syndrome, no matter their learning profile or their I think language it, profile? I think it can. I yeah. mean, I think you can definitely use it for kids who are minimally verbal. Yeah. Definitely. I, I do not think that they need to be able to identify thoughts, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and talk about thought patterns at the way we were talking about them, like at that level yeah. that we were talking about them earlier. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that's necessary at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can definitely make some changes with mm-hmm. um, 
with just uh, working on the behavior modification aspect yeah. for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's actually really good to know because I, I think parents and people that are that work with individuals with Down syndrome are listening and saying, because it seems very like very higher order CBT, like, you know, it's but like, will it work for our people? For people and yeah. it, it can. It's just how you approach it with them is kind of what yeah. you have to think about. I also think I'm, I would also add there that with those, um, with the with the teens and adults, and it is mostly teens and adults I've seen. I don't think mm. I've seen anybody under age like fourteen. Maybe okay. is the youngest I've seen. Yeah. Um. So, but for the teens who are minimal minimally verbal, uh parents' involvement is especially mm. important, right? Because okay. you also want to make sure that parents understand, like, the principles of, yeah. like, when to apply the strategies, yeah. um, when to bring out the, this, the you know, making sure you don't bring out those, because I give them choice boards of, like, things that I can do to make myself um, feel better if I'm getting angry, yeah. making sure that parents are pulling that out at the right time mm-hmm. so we know that you have to give the kids that as the anger is just getting going mm-hmm. you cannot do it if oh, they've God. already started kicking walls and punching things yeah. and because a they won't be able to process that information yeah. and b yeah. now you're reinforcing positive or problem behavior yeah right because yeah. they are now you know getting your attention yeah, yeah and they've they've wrecked things yeah. and right so and now you're giving them a choice of like ooh, i can do some deep breathing i mean that's yeah. just not or other reinforcing activities right yeah. so making sure that um parents are really really involved i mean i think parents have to be involved with all of them yeah um, for sure i don't think i've been I don't think I've done any therapy with anybody whose parents weren't involved at all yeah um but it yeah it's especially important with those with those kids yeah and then the um and I think it's so great because you know we do talk about preventative strategies for for problem behavior so I think it's the same idea like you need to maybe use preventative strategies to help with coping with you know anxiety and depression so you're kind of trying to come at it before exactly. it gets to the yeah. point where then it's not So, gonna, yeah. for example, with lots of kids, that is the, so for kids who are prone to low mood or depression, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is that kind of idea of activity scheduling, right? And making yeah. sure there's lots of fun things yeah. in their day yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that they don't, you know, go down that route. Um, and for kids who are more towards the anxious or anger yeah. side of things, yeah. um, which can often go together, um, you want to make sure that you teach them a relaxation routine, Mm -hmm. right? That they engage in once a day or once Mm -hmm. every couple of days on a regular preventative basis. Basis, yeah. Yeah. And the activity schedule thing resonates so well with me as an OT because a big proponent of our profession is that, you know, to help with mental health and to improve and maintain your mental health, you need to have, you know, quote unquote, occupations to occupy your time throughout the day. And there's research that has shown that, for people with mental health challenges, when when they have something to occupy them throughout the day, you know, for somebody who may have issues with auditory hallucinations and is schizophrenic, it's reduced quite a bit because they have other things occupying their exactly. mind. Right? Yeah, so that's a great example. That's, yeah. yeah. And think about all of us at the beginning of the pandemic yes, when we were stuck absolutely. at home. 
Yeah. Right. And our routine was all of a sudden taken away from us. I mean, the kids with Down syndrome aside, who it definitely negatively impacted. Definitely. But it was hard for all of us. Right. Because if you are kind of left with nothing to do and, you know, before we all started pulling out puzzles and lengthy books and that kind of thing, (laughs) um, when you're just left to your own devices, your thoughts will get away from you and that will impact your mood negatively. hundred percent. Absolutely. So having things scheduled in that keep you busy and that are fun. So these aren't just kind of, you know, busy work activities, right? These are things like enjoyable activities. Yeah, enjoyable activities. And Mm -hmm. and I like to think of it in terms of I read um, some time ago about that that activities should be both pleasurable Mm -hmm. or involve mastery, right? Mm -hmm. So either something Mm -hmm. you really like or something you're really good at. And so it should have at least one of those components. And I think just for overall, for like improving cognition and you know, decreasing cognitive decline. It's so important to like, you're learning new things. So you're building yep. new connections. So it's really impacting so many different areas of your mental health and your cognitive health, yeah. right? So. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, especially yeah. for a population of people that's prone yes. to developing dementia. Exactly. Too, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you walk us through the process of what happens when someone comes to see you? Is Do you have an assessment procedure first? And how do you decide where to kind of go first? Like, yeah, so I definitely start with um, the assessment process with parents. So that includes kind of current issues their child's having, always like a family history of mental health issues yeah. because Down syndrome or not, if someone in your family, especially your immediate family, has a mental health issue, then your children are more likely to have it as well. Um, we go through the relevant sections of a um, really well-accepted uh, assessment um, tool called the ADIS, so Anxiety mm. Disorders Interview Schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, this one particular one is designed for children and teens um, and their parents. So there's specific questions about things like, you know, depression and ang- the different types of anxiety and mm-hmm. ADHD and obsessive compulsive disorder, whatever the the parent is most concerned about. Um, I will make it clear right here though that even though I've received that training, um, I'm not able to make a formal diagnosis. Yes. So if yes. a parent were to yeah. want that formal diagnosis, they would have to see a psychiatrist or okay. a registered clinical psychologist. Yeah. Um, and then after I'm done, you know, with the parents, that usually takes kind of a session. I start assessing the teen or adult. Um, I find out from their perspective, like mm-hmm. what they're worried about or what their concerns are. Mm-hmm. Um, I adapt relevant portions of that assessment the ATIS. And, you know, those adaptations, of course, include modifying the language because even though it's designed for kids, I still have to further modify the language. That's where it's really helpful to be an SLP by trade, right? (laughs) Exactly. Um, uh, As well as adding in some visual supports. So, you know, examples would be like photos of emotions instead Mm. of just, you know, are you feeling sad Um, or rating scales for how sad or nervous you're feeling. So Mm -hmm. it's really important important so that we get accurate information because oftentimes if you ask an individual with Down syndrome, you know, do you ever feel worried or do you ever feel sad? They'll be like, no. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Because (laughs) as we know, they just kind of tend to say no to a lot of things. So, and also they may even 
you know, not want to admit that they're mm-hmm. feeling that way. Mm-hmm. That can be, I think, sometimes the issue too, yeah. that they don't want to admit that they're Think that of they're it as a bad thing scared. if they admitted it, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 a little bit. So it yeah. could be one of those things. But so if I ask a, um, a kid who comes to me, if, if I say, are you afraid of bees? <laughs> you know, she might just say, no, I'm not. Um, but if I just put a picture mm. of a bee on the table and she sort of like recoils in horror, yeah. then I have my answer without actually having to have had to ask the verbal question, right? Which we know is um, sometimes a better way of doing things with this population of kids. Um, And then once I've got that information, I might then give them a, the ATIS has like a thermometer type scale that I've modified a little bit. So, you know, if the level is really low on the thermometer, it's kind of like, this is, I'm not scared at all. Or if it's like way up at the top, then I'm really, really, really terrified, super duper terrified of that bee, right? So, um, at that point, I definitely also try to get an idea of their emotional literacy. So Mm -hmm. like, can they label their own emotions? Can they tell me about the emotions of other people? How many of the emotion words do they recognize and know? Um, Can they identify why a person is feeling a particular way or what makes them feel a particular way? Um, And then that idea again of like, how willing are they to admit that they don't feel good? Um, Because lots of them say they're happy, even when it's clear that they aren't. They're not. Right. Um, So especially in front of parents, honestly, Mm -hmm. that's, that's definitely a a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then last with, with as kind of the first step of assessment with these guys is, you know, do they have any coping strategies? So if I show them a picture of like a sad kid and I ask them like, how could we make them feel better? um, They'll either say, I don't know, or, you know, (laughs) they might give me a strategy. Right. So, and lots of them will say, I give them a hug, which is very lovely. Um, So, you know, and then as kind of a secondary thing, if the teen or adult has relatively strong verbal skills, then that may go on a bit longer. So um, because they, you know, maybe are able to have because they have these well-developed, relatively well-developed verbal skills, mm-hmm. they I might try to ascertain how aware they are of thought patterns then at that Got point it. too, yep. right? So um, interestingly with telehealth, one new way I figured out how to do this is by having the person play a relatively difficult game. So well, like the CBC, yeah. have you used the CBC Kids yes. website? Yep, yep. And they have mm-hmm. those hockey games mm-hmm. on there or the mm-hmm. soccer games. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like these skill things where they have to shoot a puck at a net. And it's kind of hard yep. to get the hang of it. Yep. Um, they eventually do. But at the beginning, it's quite hard to get the hang of it. And and they also, it's time pressured and it's like competitive because they're trying to beat my score, <laughs> right? So yeah. I pay attention then to their self-talk. So yeah. some of them will be like, they'll just shoot the thing. And if they miss, they're like, oh, well. And then they shoot and they get a goal and they say, oh, good job. I'm amazing. I'm so great. And then I'm like, okay, well, clearly you have fairly good self-confidence Confidence here. To it, yeah, and maybe exactly. not such unhelpful thought patterns <laughs> um, around this anyway. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, some of the adults or teens will say things like, oh, that was dumb. Or, Mm. oh, I always do that. I always make that mistake. Right. So then that kind of clues me into, hmm, what else are you doing in your life where you're using that kind of language, which is clearly unhelpful. Yeah. And most likely there are other 
other ways or, or other parts of their life where that's happening. Because if it's happening in this one context, most likely it is in others. Exactly. Yeah. You okay. got it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically hmm. what assessment looks like, I would say. Yeah. And an assessment with the kids can take several sessions. Okay. Right? I was just going to ask. Can, okay. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. can take quite a long time. Yeah. 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 And I think it's it's interesting that you mentioned early on that the ATIS is obviously for kids and teens, but not for kids and teens with Down syndrome. And I think there's really no assessment out there. I don't think that I know of that is that uses, you know, Down syndrome as it's like norm population no. or developer. No. But I love that you also have kind of like this other informal way of assessing things as well, because you get a better picture overall of how they're coping and how they're, what their unhelpful thought patterns are and everything. Mm-hmm. So you get a better picture of the person overall, rather than just relying on the ATIS itself, right? Yeah, like there's all that's these right. other things you and put it, in place. And if you think about it, we've we've talked about this lots of times as therapists in many different disciplines or teachers here, yeah. right? We were talking about it earlier today. Yes. That, you yeah. know, structured assessments, yeah. um, standardized formal assessing does not work well yeah. with our kids. They tend to not do well at it. They get yeah. tend to get discouraged and yeah. then you don't get accurate information. Yeah. Plus you can't compare them to a um you know a a, a peer group that's relevant that's relevant right? yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah um can you share with us so we've talked about assessment so when you come so you have a component where you talk to the parents then you have a bigger component where you're working with your clients and, and, and assessing them so once a goal is established like obviously the goals are established with you talking to the parents maybe also including your client, depending on age level, like what do you want to yeah. work on? How often do you get your kiddos with Down syndrome telling you, you're like, I want to overcome this? Like, does that happen a lot or is it mostly mm. mediated with parents? I would say if I give them choices, okay. then they're able to, yeah. they're able to tell me, but yeah. I don't think I've ever, well, maybe I've had a couple say like, yeah. I want to something. Specific. I want to be happier, or I'm, yeah. I'm not a happy guy. I want to be a happy guy. Got it. Right, like Got that it. kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I've had a couple say that, yeah. but usually it's more of a choice. Like, do you want to work on this or this, or yeah, um, what do you want to get better at? Mm-hmm. Make you feel better, mm-hmm. and then I give them kind of choices. Yeah, yeah. And how often? How long do you feel like you're? And we're gonna the next question. I'm gonna ask about some treatment ideas, but like how what's the general amount of time that it would take to kind of from beginning to end to help? I mean, I know it's very unique to each Mm. individual, but like, could it go on for months? Some, yes, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So So I've definitely been seeing, um, again, it's so hard to give like an average or anything like that. It depends on how severe the behavior or the, sorry, the, well, the behavior and the, and the issues are at the beginning. Yeah. Um, that then, you know, it will definitely take longer. Mm -hmm. I would say that, you know, um, some of the kids I've seen took about, I don't know, like nine months or a year. Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. there's some who I started seeing near the beginning who I'm still seeing, seeing even if it's like on a monthly basis. Yeah. Right. Just because, um, yeah, they just had things that were a little more, a little more intensive. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. So, so now that we've kind of assessed, we figured out what the goal is. So can you share with us some examples of treatments that you might employ with somebody that you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the first 
thing, maybe I could give you a couple guiding principles first. Yes. One of them we've kind of talked about already, um, which is getting the parents involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so both because I want um, them to be using the strategies at home, but also because, you know, getting regular updates from them is really important for me so yeah. that I can work on things that are currently relevant and yeah. check in about what, what strategies are helping and which ones aren't. Right. Yeah. So I, I need to know You're that information. Like once a week, right? Yeah. You're okay. Got yeah. It. Usually yeah. once a week. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And so the therapy session definitely has to have some structure. So, um, you know, I do have a couple of adults who are extremely chatty, um, (laughs) but with the exception of those guys, um, which is, you know, it's, it's not like a regular talk therapy counseling session. What most people would think of as a counseling session, that's not going to fly with most of these guys. So it tends to definitely be a mix of kind of shorter, quicker activities with a lot of like, they choose what's going on. Um, games, videos. Uh, I really I end up showing a lot of that inside out movie oh, and, yes. and then clips yeah. also from their favorite movies yeah. so that we can, like I watched um, some Harry Potter last week, right? Mm-hmm. And that, Harry's really angry in this yeah. episode or in this movie. <laughs> like how can he, how, what could he do to what, make himself what is his, feel what better? Is Harry's coping strategy? And actually <laughs> the young man that I was working with had a really great idea. He's like, well, he should just go upstairs and go and pet Hedwig and that oh. will make him feel better his owl and I was like that would make him feel better that's a very good idea um so getting them to kind of apply the strategies right actively and not just talking about it um and then movement breaks which I know as an OT you're Mm -hmm. a a very big fan of Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and of course with this population of people that does tend to fall to the dance party kind of side of things yes yeah so and along that lines the therapy has to be fun and engaging right so and mental health is serious and there have definitely been tears in my sessions Mm -hmm. on both sides, Mm -hmm. right? Like there Mm -hmm. are sad things that Mm -hmm. happen and that get talked about. Yeah. But honestly, you know, most of the like teaching stuff has definitely got to be um, it's got to be fun, mm-hmm. both for the kids who are experiencing low mood, because we want to have as many opportunities as possible to make them feel better, to yeah. raise that mood and yeah. show them that it's, you know, that you can laugh and you can have a good time and all that kind of stuff, yeah. um, as well as for the ones who are really anxious and they just need to feel a bit more comfortable. Right. Yeah. And humor generally puts people at ease, yeah. especially people with Down syndrome, mm-hmm. I would say they, mm-hmm. they really like that. Yeah. Um, and we also know that fun increases engagement with the material and that helps learning. So those are kind of the general guiding principles. And then like what a therapy session itself looks like and kind of the goals that are addressed, it depends a bit on what's going on with the particular person and their own unique skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely that emotional literacy piece. So the identification and expression of emotion words that often includes the zones of regulation framework, which I have found to, I haven't used it with everybody, but I've used it with a lot of the, the kids, um, because they, uh, you know, the teens and adults, because it's really, um, like the fact that it's visual and it's color coded and we have now all to as you know, collectively as a group at DSRF, we've modified it nicely so yeah. that it works really well yeah. with our kids. But that idea of teaching them how to regulate their emotions or their sensory needs and that kind of thing yeah. so that they're functioning at this kind of calm in this calm, happy state rather yeah. than too low or too ramped up. For sure. Right. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, definitely there's teaching. I try to do this early on. So we are, we were saying earlier, yes, it can take a really long time, mm-hmm. right? This kind of therapy with, with individuals with Down syndrome. But I think, you know, one thing that I try to do is get at some coping strategies really early. Yep. So, you know, making sure that we have things in place fairly early on that are going to make them feel better. So definitely teaching them coping skills for uncomfortable feeling states. Mm. So um, for ki- kids who are quick to an- to be anxious or they're quick to become angry, there's definitely a lot of deep breathing, mm-hmm. mindfulness, mm-hmm. Um, going on a mental vacation. That's oh. very fun. Yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah. Um, that's something that actually all of us might want to do yeah. during COVID because yes. we can't go on a real <laughs> exactly. vacation. But I'll get <laughs> Like the um, the person's mom to send me a picture, a photo of like the last place they went on vacation or the person's favorite place to go mm-hmm. on vacation. Mm-hmm. We spend some time talking about the picture. Like, what does it smell like there? What does it look like? Like, what kinds of things do that you see? That is such and, a good idea. And they I love that. really get into it, yeah. actually. And, yeah. then, and then they sort of like sit back in their chair with their <laughs> hands behind their head and they <laughs> lean back and close their eyes. And then I kind of take them through. Imagine you're walking along yeah. the beach. And that's really, um, a lot of them really like that. Uh, We also um, often will do, uh, you know, yoga poses together, that kind of thing for kids who are anxious. Um, Calming scents. So like Mm. smelling, we do lots of smell experiments. Like Mm -hmm. does vanilla make me feel calm or does coffee make me feel calm? Like obviously that's usually vanilla for most people. (laughs) Um, So that kind of thing. And then for kids who are experiencing low mood, we actually do the opposite. So like, you know, are you, what kinds of music or what kinds of scents wake you up, right? Or make you feel less sad, make you feel more happy. Um, Dance parties, watching cute kittens on YouTube, right? That's always a good thing. Um, And then for teens, so those, those things, that I've mentioned already would be applicable to like all kids with Down syndrome, right? So that would definitely, those would definitely be, I've used those with everybody. That is definitely an everybody thing, even kids who are minimally verbal or younger. So for teens or adults who are more verbal and are kind of able to identify some thinking patterns um, and, and get that because it's a concept, right? That we yeah. have words that happen inside our head. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and it's it's a tough one. It seems very nebulous, but... Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for those... Um, young people, I would teach them the CBT triad that we talked about earlier. And then we would talk about how having helpful thoughts can either help our behavior and our emotions Mm -hmm. or the flip side, how having unhelpful thoughts definitely is not, not not great for either feelings or behavior. So one, um, we call this talking back to your fear, right? Like just giving it to it. Like, you know, I (laughs) letting it have it. Yep. Letting Mm -hmm. it have it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, but one example would be a kid who's, you know, really afraid of needles. Right. And if you think about the needle and you think, ah, it's going to hurt. It's going to be awful. There's going to be blood. Then that's going to not make you feel very calm. Right. It's going to make you feel more anxious. And for most kids, that's going to make them run out of the lab. Right. So, um, but if you instead think to yourself, 
I can do this. Yeah. I got this. Yeah. I did this last year. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's only going to take a minute. Yeah. Right. And we actually write all these things out and how that's going to help you stay there and get it done. And yeah. I don't ever pretend that you're not going to be nervous. Yeah. But I'm going to say you might be a little less nervous. But you can you cope might feel with that nervousness. More calm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's a specific I love that. example. So you call that talking back to your fear? Yeah. That's I feel right. like we could all use that strategy oh, yeah. for sure. You, you could. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely could. Yeah. I could yeah. talk back to some spiders and bugs in my apartment. You could. Yeah, you should. <laughs> yeah. You should talk back to the spiders and the bugs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and then so for people, again, with more language and more of that kind of metacognitive awareness ability and who are experiencing anxiety, I would also do some psychoeducation around like the fight, flight, freeze response, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. how that can be, uh, that happens, how anxiety feels physiologically in yeah, our bodies, right? Yeah, like yeah. there's a reason why you're getting an upset tummy before yeah. you have to go to school because yeah. you're feeling anxious about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, that idea of real versus false alarm. So lots of times what I'll say is, you know, our brains and bodies sometimes act like there's a bear running towards us, even though it's actually a cute, fluffy white dog. Right. But our bodies make us think that it's like something very scary um, because you're you're feeling anxious. Yeah. And then. One more fun concept that I really like working on uh, regarding behavioral modification. So is the idea of spiral up and spiral down. Okay. So this is basically some things we do as humans cause our our mood to spiral up and make us feel more happy. And some things we do make us spiral downwards Downwards, and make us feel sad or tired or gross. Yeah. Right? So... um, we know that our, you know this well, Hannah, that, you know, our uh, kids really enjoy role play. Yes, right? So sure they, do. <laughs> they, they really like watching us engage in it mm-hmm. um, or participating in it. And so if I role play it and kind of draw it for the teens and adults, um, they really get this concept. Mm-hmm. So it's a good way to teach things that are not very ideas that are not very popular, such as, you know, you feel good if you if you watch one TV show, but if you watch eight in a row, yeah. that makes you feel pretty crummy. Yeah. And that is not a popular idea. Yeah. And <laughs> I get a lot of pushback and so do parents, <laughs> but they kind of get it if you yes. draw it out this way, yeah. right? And if I act out how gross I feel. So um, w- the last one I did was with, um, I did it with chocolate. Oh. Like if you eat one piece of chocolate, mm. you know, I, I ate a little piece of chocolate and I was mm-hmm. like, Ooh, that was nice. I feel good. Yeah. And then I got, I happened to have, cause I was at home. So I happened to have like a super huge piece of baking chocolate, oh, like, yeah, like yeah. just a giant one. Yeah. And I like pretended to just gulp it all down. <laughs> and then I acted very, you know, obviously sluggish, yeah. tired, yeah. not yeah. happy. And, and the person that I was working with thought that was very hilarious. And and it really, you know, drove the concept home, yes. I would say, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So anyway, that's yeah. that's basically yeah. And I love how all of these are so vi- visual based, right? Because yeah. we so that there is a, one of the many strengths of our individuals at Down syndrome is that they are, especially um when you were talking about the mental vacation thing and you know, they have very strong visual memories so they can go back to that time when they were yes. happy on the Disney cruise and they can yes. use that memory maybe as exactly. a way to help cope with anxiety that might be happening in the moment. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
I was thinking a little bit earlier that uh, another strength of our individuals with Down syndrome is that they're very high, they're highly empathetic. They're mm-hmm. very sensitive. So, like, how does do you feel like that plays a role in how they are um, expressing their anxiety or feeling their anxiety because of that sensitivity that they have to others' emotions, but like, is it internally? Are they sensitive more to their emotions, and that's why it's hard? Or yeah, you know? I mean, I think it, that's a really good point to bring up, and it's one we talk about a lot, mm-hmm. right? Because, mm-hmm. and especially at this time, it's one that I've I've been telling parents about a lot. Like, yeah. you are stressed right now. Yeah. Whether you are trying to cover it up in front of your kids or not, your kid with Down syndrome is going to pick up on it. Yeah. And that is not going to bode well for yeah. things like anxiety, depression, and problem behavior. Mm-hmm. So. Um, now there's also a, a fine line there because I don't not trying to make parents feel guilty or no, feel no, like yeah. you know oh my gosh like why am I I have to stop being so stressed yeah, around my kids or like withhold my stress in so that yeah yeah so yeah. you don't want to do that yeah. you just need to find productive the parent then needs to find productive ways to yeah. deal with the stress so that it's yeah. not so apparent yeah. to your to your kid because it definitely does they a hundred percent pick up on it yeah um and it can exacerbate their own anxiety or depression yeah. for sure yeah. and i think i think this would that would be a great episode topic for a future we're gonna have to have you back again um and again because there's sure, so no much problem. awesome stuff that you have for us but i think like the parent side would be really interesting to kind of delve into in oh terms yes i of love how, talking about that yeah like how mm-hmm. you're going to train parents and kind of help them mm-hmm. you know take care of themselves so that they can also right yes because yeah. as we were talking about earlier all those unhelpful thinking styles yeah. boy have i heard some doozies from parents yeah. over the years yeah you know exactly. about the kinds of thoughts they think about mm-hmm. themselves as parents yeah right oh. and and they can benefit from this same stuff yeah. Right. They can reframe their thoughts. In yeah. fact, it'll be easier for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. they don't have a cognitive disability. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then kind of just to end things, I was curious. So have obviously you create coping strategies for your clients in a way that they will in, be able to independently deploy them themselves when they need it. Um, ideally, yes. ideally, but it like, takes a while to get there. Perfect. That's what yeah. I was wondering. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. that's why you, the parent involvement is so important as well, because that support is still needed for them as they're learning. That's right. right. So the reminders and the visuals and all that, because they've got it. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, our last question of the day, do you, you mentioned so many amazing resources and I'm writing some stuff down and we'll put it on our episode page, but are there some of your go-to resources that you'd like our listeners to check out to kind yeah. of find out a little bit more about CBT and anxiety and... Yeah, so specific to CBT, um, the Anxiety Canada website is phenomenal. It's a really wonderful resource for parents and professionals. There's actually kind of self-guided CBT programs for both adults and kids on there. Um, And I've used them quite a bit. They also have, they've developed an app Um, which I think is on both Android and iPhone um, that's called the MindShift app that I use quite a bit because it actually has, it's free. So you know how things like Calm and Headspace, they're wonderful, but they're expensive. 100%, yeah. Yeah, so, um, but this app actually has some mindfulness practices. It has guided mental vacations. It has progressive muscle relaxation exercises. It has like how, you know, check-ins about how you're feeling today and all sorts of other helpful tools um, that, you know, 
and and again, it's it's for free. So that's definitely a good one. Yeah. Um, and then another one, just if you're curious about like what are some you want more information about like what are some of the mental health issues for people with mm-hmm. Down syndrome, mm-hmm. there is a book called Mental Wellness in Adults with Down syndrome. It's actually now out of print. I heard about that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why because yeah. it's it's a good book, but yeah. um. It's a great overview with lots of specific examples. Um, okay. And we do have quite a few copies here at DSRF. So if somebody yeah. wanted to borrow it, they could they could definitely do that. Fantastic. So those are probably, um, the, and of course, the zones of regulation, yes. right? That's, that's another one. Although, yeah. again, you might want to kind of get that from a therapist because, yeah. again, we've adapted it a lot, yeah. right? Like yeah. I ended up putting, instead yeah. of the the boring line drawings, those sorry, drawings, zones of regulation yeah, people, Drawings are not it's good. It's a wonderful program, yeah. but the line drawings yeah. are, they're hard. I can't even tell it, the yeah. facial expressions way apart. too nuanced. So just, I actually yeah. had um, Asia recently, yeah. our, our teaching assistant extraordinaire here yeah. at DSRF. She actually made me one that has emojis mm-hmm. for each zone mm-hmm. so and like yeah, yeah there's like yeah. a poo emoji that's swearing in the red zone right <laughs> red like it's zone, very yeah. it's very she made she did a really good job yeah great so yeah so great. make sure you if you're going to use the zones of regulation i would suggest going through your therapist to yeah. do it or your yeah. teacher. slp or ot yeah. teacher or you yeah 100 yeah. percent. great and then you were also talking about headspace and calm and yes. i mean there's so many different mindfulness apps as well that you Mm -hmm. can check out um so as we end things is there any like last advice that you want to give to our parents that are probably a little concerned about this or they're like okay you know like what would you say to them as your parting words (laughs) i mean (laughs) it's a a heavy question because there's so many parting words but yeah yeah i mean i think I think um, definitely if you do have concerns, then definitely talk to somebody about it. Don't yeah. don't wait for sure. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, know that there are lots of things that you can do preventatively, some of which I already talked about mm-hmm. and some of which are just kind of really good things to do with your kids. Yeah. And that is making sure you have a strong bond with your kid, yeah. right? Playing with them lots and not trying to teach them all the time. Yes, That's going to help yes. them develop into, you yes. know, self-confident individuals right um yeah yeah, just bolster trying to do everything you can to bolster their self-esteem from an early age and you know everybody who knows me well knows that my favorite thing in the whole world is positive reinforcement right and so the more of that you can give your child the better off their mental health will be right um making sure that they have things that they are good at and that they have a chance to engage in those things regularly um and and maybe the last thing being make sure that they have lots of I mean COVID aside lots of social opportunities right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um well thank you so much this has been a really really informative episode I mean I knew a little bit about CBT but I feel like I have learned so much more um not only to use for myself but you know yeah now you can go and tackle those those, magnification yes exactly yes exactly and then maybe those spiders as well I'll talk back to later on but yeah Yeah. but thank you so much for joining us again and we're excited to have you back again for season four um and we can talk about lots of other really fun stuff so thank you very much wonderful thanks
The Lowdown, a Down Syndrome podcast, can be found on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today so you never miss an episode. And let us know what you think by leaving a rating and a review. Be sure to visit the webpage for this episode at dsrf.org slash podcast for additional resources related to the topic. You can also follow DSRF Canada on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for updates from The Lowdown and the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation. Want to know more about Down Syndrome? Class is now in session at DSRF's online learning portal powered by Thinkific. Users have called DSRF's resource brilliant, fantastic, and absolutely first class. Now, our educational platform puts these tools right at your fingertips. Start with our free introductory course Down Syndrome 101 or dive deep into the issue that matters most to you by enrolling in subjects like mental health or relationships and sexuality for people with Down syndrome. Each course guides users through video, audio, and written resource to help you better understand and support the person in your life with Down syndrome. All courses and subscriptions include access to the DSRF Circle of Support. Through this social community, users can interact and learn from one another and engage directly with DSRF. So, what are you waiting for? Class is about to begin. And there's an empty desk just for you. Visit dsrf.org slash thinkific to sign up today. Got questions? We have answers. 321's Canada's Down Syndrome magazine brings leading-edge expertise from Canada's top Down Syndrome professionals, as well as parents and people with Down Syndrome, direct to your inbox four times per year. Brought to you by the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation and Canadian Down Syndrome Society. 321 tackles issues important to people with Down Syndrome and their families at every stage of life. From mental and physical health and development, relationships, employment, independence, and more, we will equip you to explore whatever your future holds. 321 Magazine, information and inspiration for Canada's Down Syndrome community. Download the latest issue and describe for free at dsrf.org slash magazine. The Lowdown, the Down Syndrome podcast, is a production of Down Syndrome Research Foundation. Learn more at dsrf.org and join the conversation at DSRF Canada on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And Lowdown is hosted by Marla Fordan and Hannah Mahmood. And it's produced by Glenn Hughes. The Lowdown theme music and George Do was written and recorded by Rick Scott.